Hi, and welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church Podcast. We want to thank you for joining us online and remind you to feel free to visit our website at seacoastvineyard.com anytime for up-to-date information on our local church here in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. If you would like to give financially to this ministry, whether that's a one-time gift or a recurring monthly gift, simply click on the Give tab at our website and give however God leads you. Now, we want you to enjoy this message from God's Word. Good morning, everybody. Uh, My name's Tim. I'm senior pastor here, and uh, if this is your first time here, welcome to the Vineyard. We're so glad you chose to worship with us this morning. We are in a series, as you can see from the title, of the prophet Elijah, not Jah, but Elijah. Last week, we, uh, we we took a look at one of the stories. We started this whole series out uh, with Elijah leaving his home. He was a farm boy, raised on his dad's farm, evidently a very strong young man. He would use 24 oxen as he pulled his plow. Now, that takes a pretty strong guy to keep 24 oxen in the row. One day, Elijah the prophet shows up. Elijah shows up, throws his mantle over him, which is like a coat, a prophet's coat, over the young man Elijah, and which meant, hey, you're the next prophet. And then Elijah, with no words, drops the microphone, walks off. And Elijah goes, I know what this means. I know what this means. So what does Elijah do? He goes back. He kills his cows and he burns his plows, right? He kills. He walks away from his profession. He walks away from the tools of his profession, how he made his money. He killed the cows, called his friend, cut them up into steaks, took his plows, the implements of his profession, turned them into a barbecue pit, and had a steak dinner for all of his friends and said, I'm off to a new adventure. And for about the next 13, 15 so years, we don't hear anything from Elijah as he hangs out with Elijah, the prophet. And then once Elijah goes to be with God, Elijah comes on the scene. Last week, what we found were three kings who were in desperate need of water, and they came to Elijah, and Elijah told them in the midst of a drought to start digging ditches. There's no water anywhere around. It's dry, but Elijah says, dig some ditches. And uh, we learned that, hey, you know what? Faith takes a step sometimes. Even before it happens, you have to dig some ditches, and that's a step of saying, I believe, God, you're going to come through. So they dug the ditches, the water came. Today, we're going to be over in 2 Kings and the fourth chapter. And uh, we're going to take a look at uh, a lady that uh, is in desperate, desperate need. So let me pray, and we'll read the first verse, and we'll jump into this. I'm really glad you're here. Welcome. Father, thank you so much for uh, this opportunity to share your word, to be able to... uh, Look at it and say, God, what are you saying to us? Where are we in this story? And where are you in this story? And so I pray for your help this morning. Give me the gift of teaching. Help me in my own weakness, God. And speak to me. Speak to all of us uh, through your word today. And Holy Spirit, you're the presence of God. You are welcome here. Come and do uh, what you know best to do in us and to us and through us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All righty, let's read this first verse. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, 
Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Now, you have a handout if you want to take it out. And these scriptures, all the scriptures will be in the handout as well as up on the screens for you. Let me explain the situation here. This lady uh, owes a debt that her husband incurred. Uh, He died, left her with this huge debt. And uh, here's what we think is going on, okay? There was a uh, a guy named Obadiah back in 1 Kings. Uh, We believe that uh, this Obadiah back in 1 Kings 14, we believe that maybe this is the husband of this widow. Now, Obadiah back in 1 Kings uh, took care of Ahab's palace. Ever heard the name Jezebel before? I'm not calling somebody that. I mean, have you heard of the actual person, Jezebel? Well, this is where it comes from, Ahab and Jezebel. And so Ahab, his palace, Obadiah took care of it. He was kind of the property manager over all of it. Well, not only did Obadiah do that, but during a great period of drought and also prejudice against God's prophets when uh, Ahab was trying to kill the prophets, Uh, Obadiah took 100 of the prophets, found two caves, and put 50 in each cave and saw that they were taken care of with his own expenses. But uh, he didn't have any money because it's a drought. This is the way we think this story works out. And so he had to borrow the money to take care of these 100 prophets. So it's a really a godly situation, I mean, that that the debt came by because... Uh, her husband wanted to save the prophets. But unfortunately, you know, he dies. And now the, the creditors have come to her. And like, your, your husband owed us an enormous amount of money. We want it now. And she's like, I don't have any money. I'm a widow. He left me nothing. And in this culture, if you're a widow, you get, you get nothing unless there's somebody to take care of you. And get this now, this widow is probably anywhere from 30 years old, maybe 35 years old. So she is a young lady with two young sons, probably maybe 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old. And it's not uncommon in this time and in this culture for them to say, well, we'll take them as our servants and pay off the debt that you owe us. And so they would take your children into servitude and you would serve them. Now, during this period of time, you could only do that for six years, and you had, you had to give them back. But six years, imagine losing your children, especially at that age, 10, 12, 14 years old, and you lose them not knowing how they're going to be treated or whatever for six years to pay off a debt that you didn't incur. That's the situation that this woman is in. So she comes to Elijah. She comes to the man of God, and uh, she asks for help. Now, that's a pretty dire situation, isn't it? I mean, some of us, we think we're in really a tough situation when, like, you guys are going to go to eat, a lot of you, out to a restaurant when you're done. And like me, after three services, and I go out to eat, I want to be fed quickly. (laughs) Like, actually, I just want to lay down and let them just kind of throw stuff at my face. And like, three services, just, you know, just from the kitchen, come on. Uh, but, but, you know, what we do, we get upset because maybe someone's just a minute or two doesn't get the food to us, and it ruins our day. We think, this is the worst day of my life, right? Or I can't get online. This church says we have Wi-Fi in here. But, I mean, I hope you can, but, but, uh, but what are you doing online? Maybe you're tweeting, yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's the worst day, or even worse, 
The tragedy of all tragedies. I posted a picture on Instagram and nobody has hit the heart. Nobody. <laughs> I am hated. Nobody cares about me. Nobody knows I'm alive. It's the worst day of my life. You go into a depression. Uh, you know, it, 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 that's, but in all honesty, there's some of us in this room. There are a few of us in this room that have got some really serious stuff going on. Some of us have got uh, friends that we've lost, that whether due to some misunderstanding or something that they're not talking to us, and we feel like, I don't, I don't understand this. They think something of me that they shouldn't. Uh, some of us have gotten a, um, you know, we've gotten a call from the doctor. We've gotten, like, well, I need to pray right now, actually. One of our elders, Bruce and Linda, his wife, got a, a diagnosis that was not... Uh, not good, and they are headed to Atlanta to the cancer center right now. Uh, and so uh, he's an elder. He's been a part of this church, he and Linda, for the whole 18 years. So, Lord, we lift up. We lift up Linda to you right now. We pray for you to touch her. And, God, that you be with the doctors in Atlanta and you give them wisdom. And, God, that you would come and touch them, Father, in Jesus' name. Now, see, that's a serious situation. And me getting online and me not getting, you know, that hard or some comment on some picture I posted, it just pales. And it pales when it comes to a lady who's about to lose her two young sons because she loses the only thing she thinks she has at all. And so she comes to the prophet. And and again, some of us in here are like that. You know, we've we've gotten a bad report from the doctor. Our marriage is hanging by a thread. We've lost friends. Maybe we we are hitting a, a debt that we owe like this lady, and we don't have, we just don't have the funds to pay it. We don't know how we're going to get out of this. So you have a fill-in, and your first fill-in, uh, if you want to take your pen, and, and you should have gotten a pen as well, uh, and to, to just to follow along. And this is going to be the major theme through this story. You'll see this uh, predominantly through it is when you don't have what you really want, you will discover that God is what you really need. When you don't have what you really want, you will discover that God is what you really need. Can, you, can we put this in a personal way and, and say it together? Let's, uh, let's read it up on the screens here. When I don't have what I really want, I will discover that God is what I really need. Yes. Some of us know that. Some of us have been in places where we're just not getting what we think we need. But in the midst of that, we realize the presence of God has become much more intimate and real to us. And, and I can tell you that's true for Bruce and Linda right now because we've been walking with them through this for a little bit of time. And I can tell you God has been very precious with them and walking with them. And, and so it's in those times that we see that God is there, that he is indeed faithful. Um, now let's see, what the, uh, let's see what, what the prophet does as we read here. The wife... Of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elijah, Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. He was a a good man. He hid the prophets. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as a slave. Elijah, verse 2, Elijah replied to her, How can I help you? Let's stop right there. Is that not some of the best words you could ever hear when you're in need? If you're going through a very tough time and someone shares with you what they're going through, the next best thing that you would like to hear out of that person's mouth is, how can I help you? Right? 
So there are, there are good responses. Now, notice what Elijah didn't say. He didn't say, oh, man, that's really tough. I'll be thinking about you. Turn off and, you know, what does that mean anyway? I'll be thinking about you. What's, what, what, does it, what does that mean? Does that mean I'll be thinking that I'm glad it's you and not me? Yeah. Is that, what, I mean, what does that mean? Why do we say things like that? Is that supposed to be, like, comforting that somebody's thinking? Why, why not? No, don't think about me. Do something. <laughs> you know, do something for me. At least pray for me. At least say, I'll ask God to come and do what only he can do for you. At least say, How can, can I help you this way? Can I do this? Because that, that means something. So let's send the vineyard this morning here in Myrtle Beach. Let's banish this, I'll be thinking about you. And, and we're trying to stomp out this thing of I'll be praying for you and go, let me pray for you. Right? Not that we don't continue to pray, but what we want to do is do it. Because a lot of times what we do when someone tells us, that they're going through something uh, really serious is we're, we're a little embarrassed to pray. We don't know how. And so we'll go, we'll pray for you. And maybe you will, but maybe you won't. Somebody else comes along, talks to you, and then you forget, right? Until the next time you see them and you go, oh, I told them I'll pray for them. So now we want to start a new practice. Is when we say, how can I help you? And if they say you can pray for me, go, okay, Lord, right there. It, it could be a simple prayer. Lord, would you help meet the need that they have right now? Would you be with them? A very present help in time of their need. Be with them. Notice Elijah doesn't say that. He says, how can I help you? How can I help you? Beautiful words uh, that we need to learn to do. If somebody says, I've got a migraine, I, you know, I don't want to say, well, I'll be thinking about you. What I, you know, I'm sure that means a lot. You know, and, and don't say this, well, I'll be thinking about you, you know, loud, and they got a migraine. Um, also, you can kind of step back and go, can I pray for you? Can I take your kids for a couple of hours? Can I they give you some, if you've never had one, you know they can reduce you to a fetal position in a dark room. And uh, if you've had one, just can I take your kids? If they've got kids and they need some quiet or something, can I come along and take your kids and give you some quiet? What can I do for you? Can I pray for you? Can I meet some need right now? And uh, if you can't meet the need, which many times we can't, we can pray. And we can say, I'll be there with you. I'll be praying for you now. And if you need anything, call me. And then check in on them. Uh, But notice... What he says after this, the, the B part of Second Kings 4, 2. Then he follows this with, tell me, what do you have in your house? That's interesting, isn't it? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Like he doesn't, he doesn't uh, ignore her dignity or, or, or go, wow, you're really in a terrible place. Nobody's going to be able to bail you out but God. You know, or anything like that. The next question is, how can I come alongside you to help you discover what you do have to deal with this? What do you have in your life, in your house, with this, this need that you have right now? Are you sure you have looked in every corner at everything, that there's not something to help you at this point? You know, we're all, when, we're, when we're hurting it blinds us to so much, doesn't it? I mean, when I'm hurting or you suffer loss, you don't see, you can't even see the good that's around you many times. Uh, when, you, when you're in the hole, you can't see how many people love you. You can't see, it seems like we just need somebody to say, hey, what's in your house? You know, take a look 
around your house. Look to see who cares about you. Look to see if you have kids, you know, look at your kids. Look at your friends. Look at your church. Look at your God. What do you have in your house? What's there? What still remains? What do you have? And it's so easy for us to just, it'll just keep us from even seeing what we do have. And then uh, she responds this way in Second Kings, the third part of the second verse. Your servant, here she goes, has nothing there at all. Now let's stop right there. That's her first thought. And that is to how we think when we're hurting. That is how we think when we're, we have lack. There is nothing at all in my life that could help me right now. I have nothing at all. But look what happens. Just as quickly, because of what Elijah asked, he says, what's in your house? What does she say? But, except, right? Except. Can you say except with me? Except. Now, see, that's a big word. Except is a big word. Because except says there is something. Right? Oh, Lord, I I don't know what I'm going to do. I have nothing except. Except a little oil. Except a little oil. Now, I think she's probably thinking I've got just enough maybe to make a few pieces of bread or something, and and then they're going to take my boys from me, and then I'm going to have nothing at all. That's all I have. What can you do with a little bit of oil? Oil is a very valuable product. I mean, they used it to cook with. They used it to moisten leather with. They used it to put on metal to keep it from rusting. They used it to anoint prophets. And when God would pull someone aside, they would use the oil as a picture of the Holy Spirit on a person. Oil is, uh, is, is very important in this culture. And she's got just a little bit, she says. And, uh, you know, God is such a specialist at using a little bit, isn't he? I mean, think about Jesus is preaching along. The crowds have been following him all day. It gets into the evening, and uh, Jesus looks out, and he has compassion on the crowds. And he looks, and, and uh, it's like they need something to eat. They've been listening to me preach all day long. And, and uh, the disciples go, you know, we'll send them home, send them to the town, let them get something to eat. And, and Jesus says what? No, you feed them. No, you feed them. And the disciples respond with, well, what? We don't have anything. This would take like years of salary to go and buy enough food for all of these people. It would take an enormous amount to do this. And then what does Jesus say? He says, well, look in the crowd and tell me what you do have. Like, okay, we're not going to do that. What do we have and what do they find? They find five loaves of bread and two little fish. Now, there's probably thousands of people out there on this hillside. That's a very little bit, right? So they did have something. They gave it to Jesus. Jesus blesses it. They hand it out, and what's left? Twelve basketfuls. God is such a specialist at taking the little bit that we have and turning it into a whole lot to bless others with. Right in our point of need, at our time of need. In the Old Testament... David and Goliath. David's the little guy, right? He takes a little rock, a pebble, and he takes down a giant redneck, right? I mean, really big guy. I mean, he flails him. He comes down with one small pebble. And believe me, I know rednecks. And so, uh, it's I mean, he takes him down. 
right? Small things, the small things. Moses, you know, how am I going to get how am I going to get these people out of here? I can't take on Pharaoh. What you got in your hand, Moses? A staff? Throw it down. Small things. We have things in our hands. We have things in our lives we don't even realize many times. Jesus said that if we had the faith the size of a... You ever seen a mustard seed? When I first read this in the Bible, I went in our cupboard looking for mustard seeds, you know, trying to find one. And when I finally found one, I, it was hard to take one to get one by itself because it's so small, you can hardly see it. But yet faith, seems, there's something very special about faith. That in its smallest amount, it can create a miracle. Matter of fact, the smallest amount of your faith can change your life this morning. Just that one small step of responding to God. Digging that one ditch and letting God come into your life. Stepping out with that one bit of faith can change everything. So God's a specialist at this. Whenever you see a lack, um, we were... We planted another church years ago. We were in our 30s, 30, 31 years old. And uh, as the church began to grow, we were like, hey, we, wanna, we, we, wanna, we want community. We don't want to grow and not know each other, so let's start small groups. Well, we, we still to this day joke, that group does, we, we joke about being the first church of the poverty stricken. I mean, we, <laughs> we had nothing. We had to always pool our money to do anything together. And, uh, and so we said, how are we going to do this? Because we want to have meals together. We want to break bread together because if you read the Bible, especially the Gospels, they're always eating. There's always food. There's always celebration. So here's what we did. We went over to our friend John and Jenny's house one night. We t- took our two families and another family together to have. So he, John calls me up. He says, you got peanut butter and jelly? I said, I got three young kids. Of course I got PB and J. Bring the jar and the jelly. And how much bread do you have? I said, probably enough for four sandwiches. He said, bring them. You know, let's go. So we showed up at John's, and he had a blanket in his den. He had a bowl of Cheetos. <laughs> and we made Kool-Aid to drink. And uh, we sat down, made sandwiches, and we sat on that. We sat on that blanket, and we had small group. We ate our PB&J, our Cheetos, and then we broke out the games. We sang. We prayed together. And we played games together for two hours. And that was our small groups for many years. We just took what we had. And we used it. And God seemed to multiply it. And, and it wasn't about the food. It was about being together. What do you have? We can't have a meal. I don't have a... You, you got PB&J? What is in your house? What do you have in your house that you can use? And, uh, and there's story after story in the Bible how God does that. So we, you know, we just want to stop waiting for what we think, you know, for what we want and start using what we have for God. And um, some of you are thinking, I don't have enough to really make a substantial difference in life. But, you know, stop wanting something to make a substantial difference and start using what you do have to make a substantial difference. Because you do have something in your house that God can take and multiply and use in your life to bless others. You have it. And what a great inventory to take this morning. Your third and last feeling is this. Offer God what you have and trust Him to give you what you need. Offer God what you have and trust Him to give you what you need. Now, 
After this exchange, she's come up to Elijah. She's explained her situation. He says, what can I do for you? What do you have in your house? She says, I don't have anything in my house except a little oil. And then we join the story, the third verse, 2 Kings 4. Elijah said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She, let him, she left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. That's interesting to me. They didn't make a show. They went inside their house where the provision was. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. And that Hebrew word literally means it continued to flow. Like every jar they brought in, it was just like the hose was being poured out of that original jar from one to the next to the next. It just kept going. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Well, from I don't have anything to just a little bit of oil to now, sons, the debt's been paid off. And you know what got me too is the sons got to watch this. They got to see this in action. They were a part of it. And the oil continued to flow until what? There were no vessels left to fill. Then it stopped because the provision was made. There was enough. What was the requirement for this to happen? An empty vessel. Didn't matter what shape. Didn't matter what size. Didn't matter how much it held, how little it held. It just required an empty vessel. An empty vessel. Because God loves to fill empty vessels with himself. And with his presence. And with provision. I mean, this story of Elijah is just... I mean, burning plows, digging ditches, and now find some empty jars. It's like again and again, he's just challenging our faith. If we offer God what we have and trust him, then he will give us what we need. Get a bunch of jars, empty jars. And instead of us worrying about what we don't have, let's look and see what we do have. Every single one of you in here have something that God can use to make a difference in life, in your life and in others. I read this story. Well, actually, I, read, I was told a couple of nights ago, uh, speaking of somebody doing something that's small, I had a guy tell me two nights ago that he had been praying for me for every day for 44 years. Every day for 44 years. And his wife said, it's the truth because I hear him every night. He said, it's the truth. He's been praying for you, Tim, or Timmy, as he calls me. You know, ever since you've become a follower of Jesus, he's been praying for you. That's no small thing to me. That is no small thing. But he told me a story about, I thought I had read most of the heroes of the faith. But then he told me a story about a guy named T.S. Mooney. T.S. Mooney was an Ireland uh, Bible teacher. He taught, there he is, good old Irishman. Looks like it, doesn't he? And uh, he taught... Uh, young boys Bible in a school that was his passion and he had a saying it goes like this I think we have it on the screens my plan for the Bible class has always been to give every boy a Bible in his hand a savior in his heart and a purpose in his life and for 50 years 
for 50 years, this unknown gentleman spent his days teaching a Bible study. And uh, the story goes that one of the guys that I read the, read the story about after Danny told me about Mr. Mooney said that he went by to see him one day. And on the walls of his very humble apartment were pictures of some of the students that he had taught. And they were now judges, doctors, lawyers, plumbers, mechanics, um, you know, all kind of different professions. As he had prayed for them, he had followed to see what God had done in their lives all through for 50 years. You know, Elijah's ministry was 50 years long. Mr. Mooney, nobody knows Mr. Mooney. Mr. Mooney didn't have anything to give anybody but what? The Bible and prayer. That was what he had to give. That's what he had. One morning, the housekeeper knocked on the door in 1986. And when she, he didn't answer the door. So when they opened, she opened the door. She came in. Mr. Mooney was on his knees by his bed with his hands clasped. And he had died praying that morning. Well, the headmaster of the school where he taught the Bible study. And one of the students uh, that Mr. Mooney had taught came in the room to roll him over onto the floor. And when they rolled Mr. Mooney onto the floor, they found in his right hand a Bible and in his left hand a black book with hundreds and hundreds of names of young boys. And the two that were on the page in front of him was the headmaster's name and the student that rolled him over. (laughs) I just, you know, there's a man who took what God gave him and was faithful to the last prayer in that morning. Don't you for a minute think that God cannot use what he has given you right now. Let's not wait. Let's take what God has given us and let's offer to him. And you know, uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 7 says that we have, we have this treasure in jars of clay. How about that in the New Testament? We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We're jars. And you know what? When we, the only prerequisite is for us to be empty when we come to Him. And when we're empty and we come to Him, He will fill us and He will use us to His glory. That mustard seed this morning is right on the edge of somebody's heart. And probably more than one of you because you've been holding back and you haven't stepped forward to Jesus and gone, I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I'm waiting and God has dropped that mustard seed of faith just enough to say, yes, God, I'll follow you. And it's there this morning for you to respond to. So let's pray. We hope you enjoyed this week's podcast from Seacoast Vineyard Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. We look forward to you joining us next time on iTunes or at our website, www.seacoastvineyard.com.